Welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration dash review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. Only two cases this week, both involving crimmigration and the categorical approach. Although one does involve animal fighting. But with only two cases, I've also decided to briefly discuss an interesting Tenth Circuit case published in January 2020, BP, or Before Podcast. Hope you enjoy, and hope you have a great week. First up is Grijalva Martinez, the Attorney General of the U.S., published by the Third Circuit on October 21st, 2020. This is a case about the aggravated felony sexual abuse of a minor ground of removability. Mr. Grijalva Martinez is from Guatemala, received asylum, and in 2013 became a lawful permanent resident, or LPR, under INA Section 209, which is the Special Adjustment of Status provision for non-citizens who obtain asylum. But three years later, in 2016, he was convicted of criminal sexual conduct in violation of New Jersey Statute Section 2C, colon 14-3B, and of endangering the welfare of children in violation of New Jersey Statute 2C, colon 24-4A1. DHS initiated removal proceedings and threw the kitchen sink, charging Mr. Grijalva Martinez as being removable for being a non-citizen convicted of a crime involving moral turpitude, or CIMT, within five years of admission, convicted of an aggravated felony, and as a non-citizen who had been convicted of a crime of child abuse, child neglect, or child abandonment. The immigration judge and then the BIA sustained the CIMT and aggravated felony charge, finding specifically that the conviction matched the definition of an aggravated felony at INA Section 101A43A for sexual abuse of a minor. The IJ and the BIA denied Mr. Grijalva Martinez's application for asylum, withholding of removal, and protection under the Convention Against Torture. On appeal, Mr. Grijalva Martinez didn't challenge the CIMT finding, but challenged the aggravated felony determination, because an aggravated felony is a per se bar to asylum. So, 
Cue the categorical approach, used to determine most aggravated felonies, which requires a comparison of the federal aggravated felony sexual abuse of a minor definition with the statutory elements of the New Jersey conviction. This decision is primarily about the first task. What is the federal definition of sexual abuse of a minor for aggravated felony purposes? Now, the Third Circuit addressed the sexual abuse of a minor definition in a monster decision last August, Kabita v. Attorney General of the U.S., discussed on the August 24th episode of the podcast. Summarized, the Third Circuit held in that decision that 18 U.S.C. section 3509A8 is the primary generic federal definition of sexual abuse of a minor, but that additionally, the federal generic definition of sexual abuse of a minor pulls in the mens rea element of another federal criminal statute and, quote, requires knowing conduct as to the sexual act, end quote. The Kabita decision, however, left for another day whether the generic federal definition of sexual abuse of a minor used for aggravated felonies also requires proof that, quote, the perpetrator knew the victim's age, end quote. That day is now. In this case, the Third Circuit held that the generic definition of aggravated felony sexual abuse of a minor does not require, as an element, proof that the defendant knew or reasonably should have known the victim's age. This accords with Fifth Circuit and Tenth Circuit decisions. And the holding pretty much tanked Mr. Grijalva Martinez's argument. As an initial matter, the Third Circuit held that the New Jersey statute is divisible into many separate offenses, and that the conviction documents show that Mr. Grijalva Martinez was convicted under Section 2C, colon 14-2C4 for sexual conduct where, quote, the victim is at least 13, but less than 16 years old, and the defendant is at least four years older than the victim, end quote. That conviction requires a knowing mens rea as to the sexual act, so it satisfies the Kabita elements. The New Jersey statute does not require knowledge as to the victim's age, but that doesn't matter, because the Third Circuit just decided in this case that knowledge of the victim's age is not an element of the federal sexual abuse of a minor definition. As such, Mr. Grijalva Martinez's conviction matches the federal definition for sexual abuse of a minor, and he has been convicted of that aggravated felony. That leaves Mr. Grijalva Martinez's applications for withholding of removal under the Immigration Act and protection under the Torture Convention. Because while an aggravated felony is a per se particularly serious crime that bars asylum, it is not a per se bar to withholding of removal unless the non-citizen has served five years imprisonment for the conviction or convictions. And Mr. Grijalva Martinez was previously granted asylum, so he must have a decent case for withholding. But the BIA in the Third Circuit held that even though the conviction is not a per se bar, the crime is a particularly serious crime for withholding of removal purposes under the BIA's analysis in matter of NAM, which allows for consideration of the facts of the conviction. That leaves only deferral of removal under the Convention Against Torture, which the agency in the Third Circuit denied. Complicated and rough decision all around. Here's one final observation. Mr. Grijalva Martinez also argued that because the Federal Criminal Sexual Abuse of a Minor Statute provides for an affirmative defense to criminal liability where the defendant has actual knowledge that the victim is of age, 
The sexual abuse of a minor aggravated felony definition must therefore also require knowledge that the victim was underage. Interesting argument, which the Third Circuit rejected in footnote 4. But the extent to which criminal affirmative defenses impact the federal definition of a removable offense is a bit unsettled, so keep arguing that criminal affirmative defenses are relevant to determining the elements of a federal removable offense. Unless, of course, your circuit has already foreclosed the issue. And that is Grijalva Martinez, the Attorney General of the U.S. Next is Ortega Lopez v. Barr, published by the Ninth Circuit on October 20th, 2020. This is a case about crimes involving moral turpitude, or CIMTs, cancellation of removal, and animal fighting. Mr. Ortega Lopez has lived in the United States without status for 25 years. He was placed in removal proceedings in 2008, and because he had been in the U.S. for at least 10 years at the time the notice to appear was served, he applied for non-LPR cancellation of removal under INA Section 240AB, asserting that his removal would cause exceptional and extremely unusual hardship to his U.S. citizen children. The problem is, is that he was placed in removal proceedings in the first place due to a conviction under 7 U.S.C. Section 2156A1 for, quote, knowingly sponsoring or exhibiting an animal in an animal fighting venture, end quote. And DHS alleged that the conviction was a CIMT for which a sentence of one year or more could be imposed. If true, Mr. Ortega Lopez is barred from cancellation of removal. The IJ concluded that it was a CIMT, and the BIA agreed in a published 2013 decision, Matter of Ortega Lopez. The Ninth Circuit vacated Matter of Ortega Lopez in 2016, sending the case back to the BIA for further CIMT analysis because the conviction does not involve fraud in any way. On remand, the BIA doubled down and again found that the conviction is a CIMT, even though the conviction does not involve fraud, in a 2018 published decision, Matter of Ortega Lopez. This time, the Ninth Circuit deferred to the BIA's published decision. Under the 1984 Supreme Court Chevron decision, circuits must defer to agencies like the BIA when the BIA authoritatively and reasonably gives, quote, ambiguous statutory terms concrete meaning through a process of case-by-case adjudication, end quote. The CIMT definition is the quintessential ambiguous phrase, and so the circuits often defer to the BIA's published interpretation of that phrase. And under BIA case law, the term CIMT has, quote, two essential elements, one, reprehensible conduct, and two, a culpable mental state, end quote. The Ninth Circuit agreed that the crime in this case of, quote, knowingly sponsoring or exhibiting an animal in an animal fighting venture, end quote, meets the second prong because it involves a culpable mental state of knowing rather than, say, negligence or recklessness. Then, the Ninth Circuit deferred to the BIA's holding that the crime is sufficiently reprehensible because, quote, the exhibition and celebration of suffering in animal fighting events was contrary to basic standards of decency and humanity and debased and brutalized the citizenry who flocked to witness such spectacles, end quote. The Ninth Circuit accepted the BIA's rationale that even though the crime applied to chickens and cockfighting, quote, the immorality of the conduct stemmed from its infliction of suffering on sentient beings, end quote. So chickens count. 
As a sub-argument, Mr. Ortega Lopez argued that the CIMT bar to cancellation of removal shouldn't apply to him because he didn't meet all of the statutory elements to be barred. See, the cancellation of removal statute doesn't actually say the word CIMT, but rather states that non-citizens are barred who have, quote, been convicted of an offense under Section 212A2, 237A2, end quote, and some other removal statutes. Now, the CIMT definition is contained at Section 212A2 and Section 237A2 of the Immigration Act, but the sections also have other requirements. For example, INA Section 237A2 makes a non-citizen removable for committing a CIMT within five years of admission into the United States. Mr. Ortega Lopez argued that he was neither admitted into the U.S., nor did he commit a CIMT within five years of his entry, so his CIMT shouldn't bar him from cancellation of removal. The BIA took up this question in its 2010 decision, Matter of Cortez Canales, and in its 2018 decision, in this case, Matter of Ortega Lopez. And here, the Ninth Circuit deferred to those analyses. According to the BIA and the Ninth Circuit, the bars to cancellation of removal, quote, apply to all aliens, regardless of admission status, end quote, and the cross-references to other provisions under the INA refer to a, quote, list of offenses in the listed statutes, rather than the statutes as a whole, end quote. Or put another way, a CIMT bars a non-citizen from obtaining non-LPR cancellation, regardless of whether the CIMT meets the other statutory elements contained at INA Section 237A2. So, the BIA's decisions in matter of Ortega-Lopez and matter of Cortez-Canales stand. Not much good for non-citizens here either, but here's one final word of warning. As the Ninth Circuit notes, not all states criminalize cockfighting, but if your client admits to having done it, even if it's not a crime in the state, your client may be deemed to have admitted to the essential elements of a CIMT, which is just as problematic for non-citizens under immigration law as an actual conviction. So watch out. And that is Ortega Lopez v. Barr. Finally, I want to briefly discuss Martinez Perez v. Barr, published by the Tenth Circuit in January of 2020, before the podcast even began. Hard to remember, I know. This is a case about cancellation of removal, and I'm not going to get into the facts or the holding of the case. But I want to briefly discuss one aspect of the case, in light of the fact that the immigration courts are now reopening from their COVID-19 closures, and are resetting hearings many years into the future. I've even seen 2025 on some of the immigration Facebook threads. Such extended postponements of hearings bring up a potential issue for forms of relief from removal, such as non-LPR cancellation and 212H waivers, that require a showing of hardship to a qualifying relative. If that qualifying relative is a U.S. citizen or LPR child, the child stops being a child under immigration law once they turn 21 years old and therefore, they stop being a qualifying relative. So what can we do? Well, we can ask the court to expedite the hearing. But the Tenth Circuit's Martinez-Perez v. Barr decision also provides strong language that we can use. 
In Martinez Perez, the non-citizen filed an application for non-LPR cancellation, but didn't receive a hearing to decide the application for six years, largely due to five continuances made by the immigration court itself, quote, allegedly due to an overcrowded docket, end quote. And now for the kicker, quote, given this procedural history, it was within the BIA's jurisdiction to interpret the cancellation statute in a way that would not penalize Mr. Martinez-Perez for the immigration court's delay, end quote. Or in other words, the IJ and the BIA have authority to excuse the aging out of a qualifying relative, including in the Martinez-Perez case, where the age-out occurs as a result of the court's extended delay. The facts of Martinez-Perez, and cases similar to it, distinguish the case from the BIA's somewhat contrary holding in matter of Isidro Zamorano. And it seems to me that the COVID-19 delays should also qualify for excusing a qualifying relative's age out. Give it a shot, practitioners. And that is Martinez Perez v. Barr. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official immigration review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review, and send us a tweet, at ImReview, that's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.